We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Let's open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 19. And I've always wanted to teach through the Bible. I've actually taught most of New Testament, um, but not a lot of the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and it's hard to get through it, you know. Um, that's why I, uh, on Thursday nights, I kind of feel like the Lord leading me not to have, like, my notes, just to kind of kick back and to go over uh, maybe two chapters with you, maybe more. Because if I have my notes, man, I start typing, I start thinking all these things, and before you know it, um, I have like you know a hundred pages of notes, and so uh, I want to I want to cover the Old Testament with you. So the Lord just kind of laid it on my heart. I, I got some posties here and stuff and things like that, but but primarily just uh, read, read, study, study, pray, pray, and then give the word. And so uh, I'm even hoping that we'll we'll end early tonight. How many of you would be happy if we ended early tonight? Some of you are like, yeah, that would be so cool. We can go to In-N-Out and get some pizza, King Taco. No, um, look what it says in Second Chronicles chapter 19. It says, Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and, and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you and that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. For whatever reason, Jehoshaphat struggled with making alliances with ungodly people. Uh, Last week we went over this, how he had hooked up with King Ahab, who was the worst king in the northern kingdom. I mean, King Ahab not only worshipped the calf that Jeroboam introduced into Israel, but he also worshipped uh, Baal. And he was largely influenced by uh, that wicked, wicked woman named Jezebel. And so here's Jehoshaphat, this guy that we're studying, he's a right-on king. And there he is hooking up with somebody that hates God, that hates God. Now, you know, by the grace of God, he survived that, that battle that they were in. But now he comes back to Jerusalem. And as he comes back to Jerusalem, it's interesting that this guy right here uh, says in verse 2, Jehu, the, the son of Hanani, he was a seer, he was a prophet, he was a spokesman for God. He went out and he met the king and, and he rebuked him. He said, should you help the wicked and, and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, it's, in, it's important, I think, for me when I read this right here, just to bring out this, uh, you know, before you guys, that, uh, you know, sometimes we don't like it when people rebuke us. And especially when you're a leader, especially when you're like rising up the ranks or you might be a senior pastor or a pastor, and just somebody that you don't even know, they come up to you and they're like, you know, they're just really maybe in your face. You know, like, should you help the wicked? I mean, you're helping those who hate the Lord. What's wrong with you? The wrath of God is on you. Now, you know, for me, reading this right here, we're going to see that Jehoshaphat, uh, he responded correctly uh, and my encouragement to you is to do the same. And if anyone ever comes up to you and they rebuke you, they tell you that you're off and that you're wrong, you know, don't be one of those people who don't listen. Um, if you go back in the same book, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, there was actually a, a really good king named Asa. But Asa messed up. You know, he, he made a huge mistake. He hired, you know, people to help him in the battle when before God was the one who helped him. And so a prophet came up to him, and, and, and it says right here in Second Chronicles 16, verse 7, At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. 
Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hand. He's saying, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Why are you relying on armies now? The Lord has you know, proven Himself faithful in the past. What's wrong with you? He says in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord, they, such a beautiful verse, run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Think about that. To show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. I mean, God, can you picture God's eyes just scanning the whole earth, looking for somebody who's loyal? And when he finds someone that's loyal, then he shows himself strong? I mean, that's what this guy says, right? But look what he says in the end. He says, And this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. And look what King Asa does. It says in verse 10, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. I mean, and this is a good king. He's a good king. But when the prophet comes and rebukes him for something that he did that was clearly wrong, what does he do? He gets all upset. Why does he get all upset? Because of his pride, right? Because of his pride. And, you know, I just want to encourage you guys, if someone ever corrects you or rebukes you or just challenges you, you know, don't get all mad. That's what Asa did. Good men will do that. Don't, don't be like Asa and make that mistake. We see it again later in Second Chronicles. If you want to go over to chapter 26. In Second Chronicles 26, this is another good king. Okay, this is Uzziah. Notice what happens. Again, it was a pride in verse 16 of Second Chronicles 26. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. He said, Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. But look what happens. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. He went on and he lived the rest of his life as a leper. And so what I'm saying, you know, you guys, is that when someone corrects you, and, and for me as a husband, most of, you know, my, my, my correction comes from my wife because she loves me and because she sees my flaws. And most of you guys, you probably see my flaws, but you guys show me a lot of grace. You won't say anything. Every once in a while, I get someone will. But you know, when my wife, uh, she'll, she'll challenge me or she'll talk to me or she'll point things out, I, I need to make sure. For you husbands here, can you, can you kind of relate to that out of curiosity? You're like, no. <laughs> All right, well, anyways, that's what happens to me sometimes. I thank God for that perspective that I get, that I need. And whatever you do, you guys, don't get all bent out of shape. Because if you do, I'm telling you now, you might end up as a leper like Uzziah did. Listen to the rebukes that come your way. You'll see that a lot in the Proverbs. And so back in, in Second Chronicles, um, it's so cool, this guy rebukes him. And, and he says, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Now, the, the, the thing about this is woven within the Hebrew language right here is a covenant of aid. And so what he's telling the king, what he's telling Jehoshaphat is that, you know, you know how you guys know how love is action? Love is action. Well, that's woven into the Hebrew word right here. The, the way that he was showing his love is he was acting towards this wicked king and helping him and so for us it's important to know we love everybody you love everybody you love your enemies you love your persecutors jesus loved those who nailed him to the cross you love everybody but understand here the language is is more along the lines but you don't help 
the wicked. So some guy comes up and he wants to go get high or some guy wants to, comes up and he wants to do a crime or he wants to get violent with somebody or maybe hurt you know, some gal and you know, take her purse or whatever the case may be and you help them. You're going to help them do evil. You're going to help them do wicked. You know, you're going to give them money so they can go buy drugs because you don't have time to take them and buy them a meal. No, you're not supposed to help the wicked. And that's what he's saying right here. You, you should know better than this Jehoshaphat. He said, why would you do that? Therefore, here's the, the thing, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. And so this is what happens when we mess up. We deserve God's judgment. All of us here do. You know, um, and that's where Jehoshaphat finds himself. You know, where would we be right now if we got what we deserve? We would all be in hell. None of us here would be serving in ministry. We would all be disqualified if we got what we deserve. Right here, the prophet, he kind of points it out. But it's cool because, you know, remember I was telling you, we'd always talk about the fact the Lord looks at the heart. The very next verse, he says, Nevertheless, you know, good things are, are found in you, and that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. We, we talked about that back in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 17 and chapter 18, how Jehoshaphat, was, he, his heart was right, and God saw that. You know, a lot of times guys don't see that. Human don't see that, but, but God sees that. And we even talked about the fact that it said in Second Chronicles 17 that, that he sought the Lord, he walked in the former ways of his father David, how David was in the beginning, remember, so in love with God, able to slay the giant, writing the Psalms out there, you know, fighting for the sheep, killing the bears and the lions. The way that David started out, that's how Jehoshaphat was. And so he said, you know, you deserve this because of this act that you did in helping the wicked, but God, he knows you. And we need to prepare ourselves for these mistakes that we're going to make because we all sin by having a general, generally speaking, a heart that, that's right, a heart that does good, a heart that gets rid of the sin the best that we can. Not only getting rid of the sin the best that we can, but how about what he says right here, nevertheless, this thing about you is that you have prepared your heart to seek God. Okay? It's one thing to seek God. It's another thing to prepare your heart to seek God. Now, some people will seek God. You know, they go and it's like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible now. But how about the one that prepares their heart to seek God? You know, and that can happen in many ways. I mean, when you wake up in the morning or when you spend time with the Lord or even when you come into church uh, service, you know, we can prepare our heart to seek the Lord. I mean, you could, if you want to, get here a few minutes early, sit down in your car, maybe 10 minutes, and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to church now, and, 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 and you said you inhabit your praises, and, and you established the church, and you gave us teachers, and there's this thing called fellowship, and, and before I go in there, Lord, um, just let my heart be right. And, and if there's anything in here, Psalm 139, search my heart. Try me, Lord. Is there anything in me that will get in the way? And, and, and not only that, but when you get here, you, you praise the Lord. You know, when we're, when we're singing these songs, I mean, if you would, would sing these songs to God and just say, Lord, prepare my heart, I mean, God will bless. But I think a lot of times we just kind of rush into things we go through it, boom, boom, boom. We read our three chapters, and then we, you know, eat our breakfast, and we're out the out the door. And the reason why that Bible time wasn't rich, and the reason a lot of times our life isn't rich, is because our hearts aren't right, and we haven't really like prepared our heart to seek the Lord. You know, it's like that ground, and and the bottom line is the word of God in Matthew chapter four it says it's a seed, and it and it and it falls on the ground, and that 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 soil it needs to be cultivated and tilled and broken up. You break up that fallow ground, and you get it ready for the seed. 
You see, and this is the thing that, that Jehoshaphat did that was right. And I want to encourage you guys, uh, Henry alluded to it earlier, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, First Samuel 16.7, it says, God doesn't see as man sees. Man sees at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's why we have to make sure that our heart is right. So important, you guys. So important. And, and when our heart is right, we, we want to seek God. And, and what that means is, is uh, seeking Him beyond religion. Seeking Him beyond routine. Seeking Him in this intimate, personal relationship that we have with Him. What that means ultimately is seeking His will seeking his will and nine times out of ten you're going to find it by knowing his word not a mystical magical verse but just knowing his word see and that's where jehoshaphat was and so you know when the prophet comes and uh, and corrects him, he he kind of tells him, "Well, this is what you did wrong, and this is what you did right." Jehoshaphat he listens, he listens, and then what does he do? He just goes on, and I love what happens here. He just uh, he just he just carries on in seeking God. And in verse four it says, "So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem." And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them, this is so cool, brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Now we're going to see later, this wasn't everybody, but it was a lot of people that he brought back to the Lord. The Lord can use leaders. The Lord can use individuals. The Lord can use you. Do you know anybody who needs to come back? Do you know anybody that's drifted away? Man, maybe God wants to use you. It's so cool to see that he used Jehoshaphat to bring people back to the Lord God of their fathers. And, and then what did he do? He set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, uh, city by city. And, and he said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for the controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandments, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord, and wrath come upon you, and your brethren do this, and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah the chief priest is over you in all matters of the Lord. And Zebediah the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites will be officials before you. Notice he says, behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. And so there's a lot here in this section right here. But um, what Jehoshaphat does is uh, he, in verse 4, he, he dwells at Jerusalem. And then what does he do? He goes out. And, and a lot of people believe that he himself actually went out. And what did he do? In verse 5, he set judges in the land. He set judges in the land. And what they were to do is they were to judge, judge righteously. Here's kind of the way it works, you guys. Um, you guys know what a difference a judge makes, huh? Now, we learned that recently in the Supreme Court decision, right? And how important it is to have just judges throughout the land. 
You know, judges that fear the Lord, judges that, that can't be bribed, uh, judges who interpret the law uh, correctly. Now, for Israel, what was their law? It was the Bible. It was the Bible, right? And, and here's the, the plan of God. Here's how you win a nation. Here's how you win the United States of America. You know how you do it? You, you set people and you send them out throughout the whole country and you teach them the Bible. Not only do you teach them the Bible, you apply the Bible. And for us, the way that we do it, the way that we're changing the world, and I think it's so cool, it kind of lines up with what we read right here, is uh, just through all the churches. Through all the churches. If all the churches taught the Bible and applied the Bible, and including church discipline, then what you'll find is that the whole the whole nation will will change, you know that and that's the thing that we really need to do. We need just judges. We need just pastors. Uh, you know, teachers, guys that will fear God. Um, and and it's cool when you read this whole thing right here. What you find in verse six is is so beautiful. He said, "Take heed to what you're doing as he's appointing all these judges. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord." You know, it's so important that as we go out and as judges are out there, teachers are out there, churches are out there, pastors are out there, that they realize it's not for themselves. You know, this church right here, this, this, you know, I know it doesn't really look like a church because, you know, it looks like an industrial or whatever, you know. It's a church. And this is Jesus' church. And I'm not here for me and you're not here for you. And we're not teaching for us. We're leading the church for Him, for God. And what ends up happening is as you're teaching the Bible, then you're applying the Bible. And then what ends up happening, if there's anything that doesn't belong, then you exercise church discipline. And what ends up happening is God does a work. You know, it's really interesting when you read this right here. Um, Look at verse verse 10. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed, that's like the bad thing, really bad murder, or offenses against law or commandment. I mean, that's just anything, right? Statutes or ordinances, anything. You shall warn them, lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Now, here's the thing. If you're a judge, do you warn people? Not really. Not directly. Someone comes into the judge, into the room right here, and let's just say he's, uh, he's you know, raped somebody or he's committed incense, um, you know, incest. He's, uh, you know, molested uh, someone, something that we see uh, so frequently nowadays. And, and, and the judge... He's got to apply the law. Okay? So what would happen to the judge if he says, oh, okay, it's no big deal. You know, uh, you seem like a nice guy. Plus, you, sip, you slipped me a couple of hundred dollars. And so, you know, you know, go ahead and go. Then, you know, that would definitely ruin things. What happens when that same judge says, you know, 25 years to life, man? You, you, you can't do that to a child. You can't do that to a, a woman. Or, or what happens when some guy comes in, and, uh, and again, I, and I know it's a very difficult thing, but, you know, we're not talking about, like, you know, third degree, second degree manslaughter or something. We're talking about first degree murder. Where the guy knew what he was doing, he planned it all out, and then he goes and he kills somebody. I mean, sometimes you see these crazy, you know, stories, dismembering people. I mean, you name it, whatever. And and so, you know, what happens when the when the jury finds him guilty and he clearly is, and the judge says you got to die? What does that do? It warns all the other people. It warns them. You know, if you rape somebody. If you commit incense against these children, incest, I keep saying that, 
you know, if you murder somebody, then, you know, you're going to pay the price. But, but what ends up happening, and again, I don't want to sound like, you know, um, you know, like harsh, but, but, you know, there's a reason for the law. There's a reason for that because what that does is that warns the people, hey, man, we shouldn't do that. And that's one of the reasons, it's a fundamental reason why our society is so messed up. And if I could just say this just a little bit on the side, it's one of the fundamental reasons our children are all messed up because their parents don't discipline them. And there's no, there's no warning. There's no, there's no order. There's no justice. You guys, um, here's the thing. The Lord said it's so important that you you judge justly that if you don't implement the law, if you don't exercise church discipline, if you don't stay consistent and let God's law rule, for us we have the New Testament. You know, if you don't, then he says, then he says, you're guilty. That's what he says there at the end of verse 10, that if you if you do things cool, then you're not guilty. But if you don't, then understand you're the guilty ones. And a lot of parents they like to blame the kids when it's the parents' fault. And a lot of times people want to blame, you know, the congregation when it's the church leaders' fault who didn't exercise church discipline. Or we want to blame society when in all reality it's because of the fact that we haven't applied the law. So the the thing about it, we're we're not a theocracy. Uh, Israel was. What an awesome time that must have been. These guys are just preaching the Bible throughout the whole country, and they're applying it, you know? And they're hearing all the cases in Jerusalem and Beersheba and all these different places, right? And, and basically what you see right here is that Jehoshaphat, he does what he has to do as a leader in order to bless the people, you know? And I just love this about him. And so it's going to come back to bless him. Because what does he do? He teaches them the Bible and he applies the Bible. You know, I, I don't know, you guys, uh, I, I, I'll be the first to confess that I'm not the best Bible teacher, but I do teach the Bible. There's a lot of churches out there, bells and whistles, entertainment, they don't teach the Bible. They'll kind of throw a verse up there on the screen and next thing you know, they're talking about you know Taylor Swift the whole time. I mean, or whatever, you know. And I'm not saying anything bad about her. All I'm saying is that, you know, no, just, just give me the Bible. Because this is going to come back to bless him. Look what happens next in verse 1 of chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazran Tamar, which is in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. You know what this is, you guys? This is the evil day. This is those times in your life where something huge happens, something crazy, a multitude comes against you and you know, I mean, I'm sure you can think of the trials. Uh, you can think of the things that are kind of abnormal, beyond the norm. I mean, you go to the doctors and you hear that you have cancer or, or something happens to one of your children and, you know, those are the things that break our hearts the most. Or, you know, I don't know what it is. You got a, a multitude of people coming against you. I was listening to one of the studies. I went to the pastor's conference just the other day and he was talking Javer was also talking about a time when 500 people left the church at one time. It was huge. It was just a huge thing. What, I don't know if you're there right now. Maybe you are. Maybe your like, marriage is hanging by a thread. or 
I don't know, maybe you're, you know, whatever. I don't know what's going on. You, you feel like you don't even want to be here. There might be some people here like the devil's hitting you so hard that you want to die. I mean, you even want to take your own life. It's because there's this tidal wave of opposition that's just coming against you. What do you do? What will you do? Jehoshaphat here, I love what he does. Uh, He feared, it says in verse 3, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, I do know it's kind of funny. We read last week, if you were here, that he went into battle. Homeboy, he wasn't afraid at all. No big deal. Yeah, I'll go in. And now he's afraid because he almost died. You know, and, and maybe you're here and you're like, ah, oh, I'm invincible. Nothing can happen to me. I'll never fall. Nothing will get to me. And then something kind of comes close to getting you. I know for me, and, and, and then it's like, okay, you know what? This is a real battle. And so he set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. That, that's what you do. Be careful, man, that the first thing you, you, you don't do is, is, is get on the phone. You know, hey, so-and-so, what should I do? Or be careful that the first thing that you don't do is, you know, hey, man, we better strengthen our military. Or, you know, I better you know, do all these things and you get that human flesh rolling. You know, the things that a lot of times we like to figure things out as, as men... We try to fix things. And God says, you can't fix this. You know, one of the, the guys who was talking about how what we try to do is we try to figure out how it works. And so he said, it's kind of like dissecting a frog. And so you, you, you get the frog and you, and you slice it and then you kind of dig into it. Any of you here ever dissect a frog out of curiosity? That must have been pretty cool, kind of. But anyways, he's talking about, you know, and and getting the the little heart. And I don't really know much about that because I never did it. But he just said, and and you figure it out. You figure out the frog. But in the process, you kill it. A lot of times that's how people are as Christians. They want to figure it out. And God says, you can't figure it out. You'll ruin it if you try to figure it out. You just have to seek the Lord. There's no human answers. There's no cookie-cutter approach. There's no man that can tell you, well, this is the way I did it, so that's the way you should do it. God is insulted by that. God says, you know, Jehoshaphat, I like what it says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. First, he sought the Lord. And then what did he do? He proclaimed a fast also throughout all Judah. He said, we need to fast. And I'll tell you what, you guys, when you're facing a situation, and, and, and if maybe it's like you keep facing it over and over and over and over and over again, it's probably because you're not passing the test. You know, how many of you here flunked uh, grades? No, I'm just joking. I won't ask you that. You know, you have to do it over again. And God is just saying, well, it's because you keep going the wrong way. You got to come to me. And so right here, he goes to the Lord himself, and then he tells everybody, hey, join me in a fast. Let's seek the Lord. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Uh, when was the last time you fasted? Um, let, me, let, let me show you a few verses in, in Ezra 8. If you guys want to go over there, you can. Or if you don't know where it is, that's okay. Ezra 8 and verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him the right way for us, I love this, and our little ones and all our possessions. I mean, you fast, you know, to humble yourself. In one sense, is acknowledging, I really need God. You know, I don't know. I have a feeling that, that some of you here, you're not fasting. Maybe some of you here are. But you should be, especially if you're going through difficult times, especially if you're trying to figure out what to do. Um, If you go over to to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll look at a few verses real quick, because the Lord just kind of, He's been laying it on my heart to fast. And I know when I went 
through, and I, I've gone through a few tidal waves. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you guys now, because I've already gone through it. I mean, he put 40-day fasts on me. And I didn't, I wasn't an absolute 40 days, because I would die unless it was supernatural. But it was 40 days. Here in Matthew 9, in verse 28, let me see. Matthew 9, verse 14. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. That's Jesus, right? He'll be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus said, After he ascended that the church would fast, right? If you go back to Matthew chapter 6, here's the thing that we have to remember. In verse 16, Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad face, for they disfigure their faces that may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward, but you, when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The Lord didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. You know, and and we're not going to let everybody know, you know, you're like you're sucking your face in. I'm fasting today. You like mess up your hair. You know, you don't do that, right? You just, uh, you know, it's your head. You put your deodorant on and um, and you just, you know, you, you do it to the Lord. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. But it, it wasn't like if you fast, it's when you fast. And later on, we'll, we won't have time to turn there, but Acts 13, verse 2, Acts 13, verse 3, Acts 14, verse 23, they're all instances where the, uh, the church fasted. God did great works. You might say, you know, Paul also mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about sometimes husbands and wives need to fast their sexual intimacy, but not for too long, but you have to come to an agreement. They say, let's do this for so many days. Have you ever done that? Um, later on in Second Corinthians, uh, Paul mentions a couple of times about how he fasted in chapter 11. He said it, he did it often. So all that to say, let the Lord lead you. You know, you should be fasting. If you're not at all, then I, I think something's wrong. You're like, well, why isn't there more instances of it in the book of Acts? Well, I think primarily because they weren't supposed to advertise it all the time. Jesus gave us that principle in Matthew 6. But let the Lord lead you. You know, um, maybe it will be a lunch hour that rather than eating, you spend time in the Word and prayer. Or maybe it will be breakfast. For me, dinner's so hard. Maybe it will be, you know, you know, every whatever Thursday. And then you're always examining your life as far as, okay, when. Anyways, God will show you. And again, not to not to lose weight, okay? Uh, and not to like, hey, I want God to kill my enemies, or I want God to give me a hummer. Not like, that's not why we fast. We fast to seek His face, right? And so, back in Second Chronicles, this is what this is what they did, and that's what we should do. And so, Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. You know, I, I don't know if, how many of you guys, you get your daily devotionals. You get the email devotionals uh, mailed to you. Uh, today, Elazar sent out a, his devotional was about um, his church that he attends. They uh, rent from a Seventh-day Adventist a church, I believe. And the guys that, that they're renting it from are raising the rent on them some crazy, crazy amount. And so um, it's not in their budget. And so the pastor there, if you can keep in prayer, Calvary Chapel, Mountain View, up there where he is, he asked the whole church, you know, to fast. Because he believes, he knows, that, hey, that's the answer. What do we do? Should we ask for money? Should we go and, you know, no, to seek the Lord. And that's what they end up doing. 
And so then we read in verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And watch how this guy prays, man. You want the Lord to work? You, you fast and you pray. But man, this guy prays good. <laughs> Look what we read in verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand there is not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of your of Abraham, your friend forever? I mean, he begins his prayer by knowing who his God is. What, what, how, what, what's the situation you're facing? What's the struggle you have? Is it too big for God? Then your God's too small. Your God's not the God of the Bible. And one of the things you see, here's three countries coming against them, you know, Moab, Edom, and all these guys. And, you know, they believed in localized deities. There's a God of the United States of America. There's a God of Mexico. There's a God of Canada. That's kind of the way they believed. But Jehoshaphat knew that the God that he served, the real and true living God, was the God of the whole earth. And that nothing was too hard for him. And when you pray, whatever the situation is that you're facing, whatever that desire is that you have, understand that this is the God that you're asking help from. This is the God that is on your side. It's just so cool how he, how he shares and, and the way that he knows the Bible and the way that he weaves it in there and the way that he just holds on to God's promises. I like the way he says in verse 7, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They're trying to take us out of this land. No, Lord, you gave us this land. And by the way, we're descendants of Abraham who happens to be your friend you know and you read that uh, later on in isaiah 41 verse 8 and james 2 verse 23 and 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 here jehoshaphat he's just praying so good abraham's your friend where your friend's descendants will you not work on our behalf you know later in the gospel of john in chapter 15, you guys can read it later, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says that you're his friends. And so as his friends, let me tell you something, man. God is going to speak secrets and God is going to move on our behalf. And this is the way he prays. In verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. You know, I just want to encourage you guys to just pray. Cry out. Know the word. Know the God that you're, that you're praying to. Know the promises of his word. Know the righteousness of your battle. Look at verse 10. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? I love this. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Some people, man, they have too much power, too much money, too much wisdom. They got it all figured out. They know what to do, and they rely on their own resources. And that's what messes them up. Rather than just going to the Lord and, and saying, admitting, Lord, I have no power. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Because that's the, that's the type of people that we have to be. Jesus is your shepherd, and you have to follow him. This is now all Judah with their little ones. Isn't this beautiful? Their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Now, is that beautiful or what? Isn't that cool? Can you see that? You there with your wife and your kids 
They're all just kicking it, looking up at the Lord. I mean, how did this happen? It happened because he had taught them the Bible. Right? And it was so cool. They were all on the same page. So that's why whenever, wherever God will send you, and one day you're going to be pastoring over there, or doing this teaching over there, or whatever the case may be, and we just got done with our Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, 1,600 churches throughout the world, 1,000 of them in the United States of America alone, just teaching the Bible. Just teaching the Bible. Don't ever stop. Don't get caught up in programs. Don't get caught up in entertaining. Teach them the word. That's when this family was in the right place. Because they had been taught the word. And the word had been applied. And so when this happens and that prayer goes up, the answer comes down. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, Levi, the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Yeah, but Lord, I just want them to get saved. And I've been putting tracks in their lunchbox and nothing's happening and... And I'm showing them DVDs and I'm inviting them to church and I'm, you know, quoting Bible verses in their face and nothing's happening. And God is saying, well, maybe that's part of the problem. You know, you got to be careful with all that. The battle's not yours. It's God's. And you want to know something? That kind of frees us up. It kind of frees us up. You know, this battle that we fight, and, and a lot of times, and I'll be honest with you guys, the biggest enemy is me. The battle that I'm fighting against myself. And the Lord just says, the reason why you're not winning that battle against yourself a lot of times is because you're doing it on your own strength. Let me do it. You know, I died for you and my spirit lives in you and I love you and I accept you. And you're forgiven and grace covers your life. And then what the Lord does is, is He fights. And when He fights, he, he always wins. In verse 16, Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed or confused. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites of the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Now, just in case, you know, you read verse 17, and again, this is such an awesome verse. Um, sometimes we need to fight. Um, you're going to see later on, they needed to swing the sword sometimes. They needed to go out there and they needed to run into battle. Um, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need to speak. And sometimes you don't. Let God lead you. I, do, I will say this, you always got to show up. You know, you always got to show up. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do that ministry event. I don't want to go because I just feel so inadequate and I'm going to fail. I, I don't even want to go. I want to quit. And the Lord just says, well, just show up. Just go. Just show up. You go on that missions trip. I know you don't feel adequate. I know the, you really don't see like what you have to offer. But you just show up. You take your position. And then watch, watch what I do. See, that, that's what ends up happening a lot of times. So they, they stood up, and it's so cool. In verse 20, they arose in the early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood. And he said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Isn't this cool? Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. I love that. 
I mean, just are you guys, you guys hear what our this is this is our God. Believe in Him. He's for you. The devil comes and he says, well, you've blown it too much and he's not for you anymore. That's a lie. You know, we've all blown it. But Jesus died for us. He's still for us. Believe in him. And as you believe in him, you'll be established. You believe his prophets and he says right there, you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and he should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy. Notice that, his mercy endures forever. And theologians tell us that was their chorus. Lord, I messed up. I know what I deserve. It's not good. Lord, will you be merciful to me? And that's, that's, that's our approach. We never come in our own righteousness because then you're going to get jacked up, man. But you just come in that mercy and that cross and that's, how, that's what they were singing. And so, verse 22, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon. And, and really, in the Hebrew, the word ambushes is ambushers. A lot of people believe it was angels. Anyways, against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, that's also Edom, who had come against Judah, and they were, they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab, they stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. The Lord just worked it out to where the angels came. And who knows, man, maybe they were invisible and they were like socking them, you know. And then the other guys were thinking, hey, that's you, what are you doing? And the next thing you know, they're all fighting. All, all I know is that God destroyed the enemies. And so when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and, man, precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled, and this is almost like an oxymoron, in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka, until this day. It's interesting. Baraka means blessing. And sometimes, you guys, you're not going to get the blessing until you go through the valley. And so they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. You know what's kind of cool, you guys? Is the musicians were leading, they were in front of the army. And so they were in front of the army and they were singing praises. And then the, the army was behind them. And then the Lord gave them the victory. And then the musicians sang again. It, it's kind of cool with the way even we do that. We start off with worship. Then we get into the word. And then we close with worship again. Now why would they worship in the beginning? They were worshiping by faith. You know, before it was already, you know, before it had happened, they already knew. We already know. We already know that we are victorious. And I love that. You guys, you got to know that. You got to believe that. You got to hold on to that. You got to stand on that. All of you here, whatever it is that you're facing or that you will face, you have to know that now. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. God will give us the victory. And in his perfect timing, man, it's so cool how everything is going to come together. And we can praise the Lord now, 
even, you know, in those times where we can't see it because we know the victory is coming. And so that's what they do. They praise before, they get the victory, they praise after, they get blessed in the valley. That's usually the way it happens. Was Jehoshaphat a perfect king? No, because none of us are. Right? And so we close right here. It says in verse 31, So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhi, and he walked in the way of his father Asa, did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Again, this is a general description. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. And so there, there is that element of where the people followed, but, but not all of them, right? And now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the books of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. What? Here he does it again. It just goes to show us that you know, the best of men are men at best, right? Just in case you ever think, well, I'm not perfect. God can't use me. God can't describe me as someone that would ever please him because I've blown it here and there. God wants to say, you know, none of us are. This guy right here, Jehoshaphat, great, great man, not perfect. These are one of the things that he struggled with. He allied himself with King Ahab's son. <laughs> but it's cool. God in his sovereignty took care of him. It says in verse 36, And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion Geber. But Eleazar, the son of Dodarva of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. And then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. I wonder how much those ships cost. Probably a lot of money, you know. But it wasn't the will of the Lord. And so the Lord protected him. The, the, one of the things you'll find about Israel is they were never really successful as far as uh, sailing on the sea. And that's why even in the book of Revelation, it says there's no more sea. So it's a real fascinating uh, topic there. You know, but, but here's the thing, you guys, in closing. Um, uh, first of all, I'm sorry because I didn't even finish early. Uh, it's, do you guys know it's 8.37 already? <laughs> Did time go by fast for you or no? Yes. Yeah, you guys are nice. <laughs> you know, um, but... But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think for us, learning from the life of Jehoshaphat, uh, learning, you know, the law, applying the law, um, learning to pray, learning to fast, learning to really seek the Lord and make sure that our hearts are right, you guys. As we do that, man, God is going to work in such an awesome way, you know. And I, and I think that the, the, the lesson as far as the covenants that we make with people, you know, of course, be really careful. But let me just close with one last thing. Okay, if you're here today and you're saved, it's because you made a covenant with Christ. You aligned yourself with Jesus. And let me just share with you, there's only two places you can be. Either you've aligned yourself with Jesus or you've aligned yourself with the devil. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. And so just in case, you know, you're here tonight and, and, and you're like somewhere, you think you're somewhere in between and, and we're talking about alliances, I, I want to urge you, you know, beyond religion, beyond your head, into your heart, into a relationship, into a covenant and a commitment to Jesus Christ. If you haven't made that commitment yet, then you're, you know, you, you're, you're gambling with your eternity. You know, because no one knows if they have tomorrow. Today's a day of salvation. I pray that in your heart you would 
just be willing to repent of your sins. I, I'm willing to let go of the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the lies and whatever it is. I'm willing to let go of it. And I'm willing to trust Christ as my Savior. And I'm willing to make Him my Master, my Lord. If you need to do that today, I pray that you would. It will be the best decision that you can ever, ever make. It's the most important decision. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.